Good morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have tuned in for our 17th episode of The Artful Nutmeg. In this week's episode, things are a little different as we are lucky to have an interview with Alexander Koch. Alex Koch was a FIFA employee for 16 years as a public relations manager and a spokesperson for the big federation. We were lucky enough to get Alex's insights and his experiences while working through his time at the company, including FIFA as a governing body for the sport. The corruption that happened during 2015 as well, and insights on more recent events at FIFA and the footballing world as we know. I am one of your hosts, Tom Ferguson, and with me is our other host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how's it going? Uh, Tom, I'm doing really well, and I'm glad you were able to, like, do the lion's share of the organizing and uh, production of this interview. Um, I, I would have loved to join you on that one, but it was it was very tricky considering the fact that he is uh, he lives in Germany. You are in D.C. I am in South Dakota. There's probably a huge, uh, not a huge language, but well, obviously, well, yeah, there was there is a little bit of a language. There was uh, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think Zoom would have broken down if it's like yeah, so we got one person from South Dakota, one person from D.C., and one person from from Europe. Well, not only that, but like I I can imagine um some of my uh you know sort of Midwest American. Uh, sayings or metaphors may have been a little weird <laughs> for, right. for someone uh, of that station. But um, I'm I'm super excited to, to sort of hear this um, or, or you know, I, like, yeah, though, honestly, like I'm familiar enough with FIFA that, you know, with all the ways that FIFA FIFA's or has FIFA'd over the years. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I, I know where a lot of this conversation goes. It's really interesting because that is such an undeniable force in the world. Like, not just, like, in football or, like, you know, of the sporting world, but, like, of the world where, like, FIFA has allowed legislation to, like, bend to its will, uh, essentially. And, like, it's v- crazy how much that organization has been able to essentially rewrite laws of entire nations. Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting interview. It's incredibly interesting to basically hear about his sort of inner experiences of being there just to give a quick little intro on him on Alex Koch. He worked at FIFA from 2001 to 2017. Also mainly uh, the big chunk of the set bladder years and mm-hmm. he was there for a very juicy portion of FIFA including the 2015 corruption cases that came out. Now Alex worked in the communications field so we are going to see a lot about some of what FIFA does do that maybe sometimes it doesn't get expanded enough. We're going to hear about FIFA in current events around the world and the state of footy as well. And yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to say, but to say, I hope you guys enjoy this interview. And it was a pleasure to put it together for all of you. Hi to everyone listening to the Artful Nutmeg. I am here for a special episode where we are here with Alexander Koch, 
who for 16 years worked as a spokesman and PR manager for FIFA, the Global Football Governing Federation. Alex, thank you so much for taking your time to come on and welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I think the uh, the best place to start for this is to hear about, you know, what got you into sports marketing and what led you into your role as spokesperson and PR manager at FIFA as you were there, you were there at FIFA from 2001 all the way to 2017. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I started in sports marketing in 95 already. So the reason why I uh, came into sports marketing was that I myself was an active uh, sportsman, uh, a rower, and nice. I always, yeah. So I wasn't rowing. I had nothing to do with football, <laughs> um, and I just knew that I wanted to stay in sports. And then at that time, it was all relatively new. The sports marketing. There were a few agencies only in the world: uh, IMG, ISL, and a few others. And ISL, uh, International Sports and Leisure Marketing, was based in Lucerne, uh, only one and a half hours away from where I was studying. And so I applied for a job there, and I didn't care actually in what sports I would be working. They had the uh, rights from FIFA for football, from UEFA for European football, from the IOC, the Olympic Games and swimming world championships and later on the cart uh, racing and later on uh, they had basketball and tennis oh so they so, were they were perfect for whichever sport you were exactly going to and i started with athletics uh also with no idea about the sport really um and it was very much uh, fun i attended three world championships and after the world championships in Seville, Spain in 99, my boss, who was the boss of athletics, football, and a few other uh, sports, asked me whether I could help out for the European championships in football uh, in Holland and Belgium in the year 2000. And nice. I helped out in the football department. And a year later, the company got bankrupt. And everybody who was working in football was taken over by a newly founded company called FIFA Marketing. Yeah. And so that's how I came into football. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And then you sort of found yourself going into the the global the global governing federation that we know, you know, for football all over the world. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I must say, I was always interested in football. I was a fan of my, my hometown club and so, but I never played and I did, didn't have a real profound idea of um, how to play football. But I was fascinated by the sport because of its popularity and the power it has. You can achieve amazing things through football, whereas you can't achieve anything through rowing or or even athletics is uh, very small compared to football. And so that, I must say, this was the emotions around the game and the the importance that was given in the media, that was fascinating. So in terms of what your sort of your main roles were, what was sort of your day-to-day -day when you were working at FIFA? What were sort of your main projects you looked at, your main goals? 
Okay, and, um, at ISL in athletics, I worked with sponsors and uh, on the operational side. Then my first activities in football for Euro 2000 were ticketing. And I continued then working in marketing. And I was appointed the head of marketing for the 2006 FIFA World Cup in Germany. So there I was in charge of the entire marketing program from official music to the official mascot, which we created with Jim Henson Company in Los Angeles, by the way, and the um, poster and yeah, all the marketing and the fan fests, all the marketing activities. And after 2006, I moved over to the marketing communications department and marketing communications was dissolved uh, only a year later because they felt that it doesn't need a, a separate department just for marketing communications. So I, then I was within the communications division of FIFA and there I was mainly working on corporate communications, which means that a federation as old as FIFA didn't really have anything corporate. They didn't have a corporate des design, at least not a design that the people adhered to, and not a, not a real slogan or only a slogan by coincidence. Whatever the the current president said and 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 thought was a good slogan was the official slogan, but that could have changed uh, from one day to the other. So they didn't have a real brand awareness of what FIFA should stand for and so on. This is what I was working on. And then um, I, is, I had a, always the drive and mission to communicate more about FIFA because its reputation was very bad in Europe, at least in Switzerland, Germany, France, and so very, very bad. I saw from the inside that the organization is just fantastic. Um, you have to separate the administration, which is based in Zurich, and what FIFA is famous for, the representatives of an organization, but I, I can come to it later. So I thought there was a, a huge gap between the reputation and the real activities of the administration. And that's why I wanted to talk about this. And so I became more and more a spokesperson of the organization. And then latest in 2013, I started to also become a media spokesperson. And then in 2015, just after the huge crisis FIFA had with some arrests uh, in Zurich of um, high representatives of the organizations, um, I was the, appointed the spokesperson for television shows and so on. And then when the president changed, I was kicked out. That was the whole, <laughs> that was the <laughs> entire story of my FIFA time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, uh, it's funny what you say about the 20, uh, sorry, the 2006 World Cup setting up everything, including the fan fest and the mascot and everything. I was actually at that World Cup. Um, I was in Munich and in, Ger and in Berlin for the, semi-final of france versus portugal and then uh the final uh so i remember those fan fests very well going on going on in terms of you know working at your time there in fifa there is a lot of great work that fifa does do around the globe that tends to fall under the radar 
what are your thoughts on you know what isn't communicated globally and why it doesn't really get the attention that it should especially in the west you know in europe in america i will do a comparison that you might first think of that doesn't really fit but i think it fits perfectly uh, i compare it to the united nations so fifa is the united nations but not in the world of politics but in the world of football and now if you think about the United Nations, they are based in New York. I don't know how many people are working there. Yeah. And the boss of the United Nations is the general secretary, uh, Mr. Gutierrez. And now if you're trying to understand FIFA, it's exactly the same kind of organization. So looking at the UN in New York with Gutierrez at the, at the head, and you're asking the question, what power does this organization have? You will figure out that they have zero power, absolutely nothing. Gutierrez does not even participate in any vote because he is not a representative of a state, of a country. So when it comes to the um, Assemblée Générale, when they're all coming together, it's the head of states that are voting. So the only thing that the organization, the United Nations organizations can do is they can set up the seating plan or the protocol and and they serve coffee and tea. So they, they, they facilitate. Exactly, they facilitate. And the decisions are taken by people where the United Nations have zero influence on. As At least as far as I know, the United Nations have no influence on who is representing the United States or Germany or Russia or North Korea. Yeah, that is decided in the country. However, the United Nations have to work with these people, whether they like them or not. So Kim Jong-un or Putin or, or Orban or whoever are sitting at the table of the United Nations and Ms. Mr. Gutierrez and the others have to work with them. Okay, now looking at FIFA, same thing. There is the organization based in Zurich. The head is not the uh, secretary general, but the president. At my FIFA time, uh, his name was Blatter. This person has also on paper and the entire organization zero influence because all decisions are taken by the presidents of the national football associations. So the United States vote whoever is the president of your football association at the moment. And this person is then sitting in the uh, annual Congress or in whatever committee, and they take decisions. Nobody from FIFA is has a, vo a voting right, not even the president. He's not sitting in any kind of a group or organ, yeah, a committee where he has a vote. So when the, um, for example, now the World Cup is being allocated or given, awarded, sorry, is being awarded to Russia or Qatar, it's the 211 presidents of the 211 member associations of football. These 211 people vote. Nobody from if you want FIFA, although the 211 are also FIFA in the same way as the head of states are the United Nations. And this discrepancy um, 
led to the fact that we were always suffering under the um, behavior and the kind of people that the national associations have elected to be their representatives. I could go into more detail because the football is then also grouped into confederations. So right. Europe has UEFA and so on, and you have CONCACAF and then South America, it's CONMEBOL and so on. But also the representatives of these confederations are voted within the confederation. And the at that time, when I was at FIFA, it was called the FIFA Executive Committee. Now it is called the FIFA Council. The members of the FIFA Council are elected by the confederations and not by the administration of FIFA. So if you first understand that this is the same structure, uh, then you already know that FIFA, in theory, I'm going into more detail now, has as little power as the administration of the United Nations on a political level. However, now comes the difference. I, I think that the president of FIFA has more power than the secretary general of the United Nations. Why? The power is always there where the money is. So looking at how the United Nations are being financed, you will figure out that it's financed by contributions of the countries. But not every country pays the same. And so who pays the most into the United Nations? That's the US. And then I think, I'm not so sure about it, but it, pretty soon comes England, Canada, um, France, I don't know. Yeah, but it's the, right. the, the, the rich countries. And these countries have more influence in the United Nations than Burkina Faso or Liechtenstein or, or Turkey, yeah, because they pay more. And I remember when, when President Trump, for example, was threatening, saying that if the United Nations are doing this and this and this, then we will stop financing. So they have more power than others. Now, looking at FIFA, you also have to look, where does the money come from? And the money does not come from its member associations nothing because they all receive money the money comes from sponsorship television and uh, and marketing sponsors and the money goes to the administration and from the administration into the member associations so there comes the big difference that in in um, yeah when it comes to the distribution of the money all of a sudden the administration plays a role now you could say the administration is just doing whatever the Congress decides, which is also true. And they have decided that every member association received the same amount of money. So Liechtenstein received the same amount than the US or Brazil or Germany. This distribution of the money is um, linked to certain criteria. So if you want to get your 250,000 uh, for women's football, then you should have a women's football department. You should have a women's football team and you should uh, at least allow women to play football. That's why Saudi Arabia for many years didn't receive this part of the money. And now comes the point where the administration has a certain amount of power 
Because if they go into a country and say, ah, we don't think that you really fulfill this criteria and that criteria, we will hold the money back. Then all of a sudden you have a certain power because the member association want the money. However, if FIFA members have decided uh, that every member association received the same amount of money. So in principle, again, or in theory, again, the FIFA administration does not have huge amount of power, but they have a little bit more power okay. than, than just being administrators. And that's the only difference. And so these people coming, coming back now to why we were sometimes frustrated and why the reputation of FIFA was so bad, these people that have been elected as presidents or as members of these committees, they are um, to a big portion uh, corrupt, not nice, <laughs> um, and just behaving in a strange way. And I would say that's the same in the United Nations with the head of states. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's a big difference. I don't think. Uh, I don't know how many of the head of states or sitting in the United Nations are honest people and are not corrupt. So but, do we so do we see this with sort of the federations having that amount of sort of power of influence based on the amount of money that they are able to bring in? Is this what we saw basically in the 2015 corruption case with the bids of the World Cup bids of you know Russia and Qatar getting accepted and Slightly, first of all, a member association doesn't bring any money into FIFA. Right. To make this clear, nobody, actually nobody from football pays FIFA. No player, no transfer, nothing. The money goes into football from FIFA, from the sponsors and the TV. And so Brazil or Germany don't have any more influence on FIFA than Burkina Faso or Sudan or Cook Islands. Absolutely not. Now, when you are talking about the um, allocation of the World Cup to Russia and Qatar, you have to you have to first look at who decides where the World Cup goes to. And at that time, it was the executive committee consisting of 24 members. Now it is the Congress so every national association, it's 211. At the time, these 24 members of the executive committee, they were to a large extent corrupt. This has, I mean, it sounds maybe a little strange, but in a way it has first of all, nothing to do with FIFA because these people have not, nobody has been appointed by FIFA, the administration, but it's the, uh, the um, presidents of the national associations and then the confederations who have voted who is sitting in this executive committee. And if they were honest people, then uh, there wouldn't be an issue. But Qatar, I don't think that it has been proven, but I would say it's, it's almost 100% sure. And Russia probably also, they have tried to influence these 24 people to vote for their bid. And how do you influence these people? You offer them privileges. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's uh, other things. And so out of 24, you need uh, 13. Two were suspended at that time. So it was 22. So you need 12 people 
to have on your side to win the the vote yeah and they were very um how do you say then when you're open for um receiving money so yeah corrupt so the and, so the main the main sort of focus on it was it, it wasn't fifa that was the corrupt or the corrupt as whole as a federation it was individuals that were corrupt and <laughs> yeah and fifa I mean, fifa was of course not informed about these things so imagine now qatar wants to get the world cup they look at who's sitting in this executive committee they find out there is somebody from brazil Teixeira, somebody from Argentina, Grondona, and from the US, uh, Chuck Blazer. So they want to get their votes. Then Qatar is talking to Chuck Blazer or to Jack Warner from Trinidad Tobago, to Teixeira and to Grondona. But this has, of course, nothing to do with FIFA and nobody would have the idea to tell FIFA about it. That, that would be completely stupid. So Qatar just tries to get those people voting for their bid. And actually they did the same with all Europeans as well. And um, I don't know if you're aware of that, but FIFA from an administration point of view was clearly against Qatar because it was economically for the organization FIFA, not by, by far, not the most interesting bid. The most interesting bid was the US because uh, I think four or five sponsors came from the US, the infrastructure is there, everything is easy. And in Qatar, everything had to be built, and it was lots, uh, lots of organization. Yeah, very small country, and you know, yeah. they, had to, they had to have every city and they had to have every stadium in one city, basically. Exactly, which has also advantages in a way. I, I see right. the strengths of their bid as well. But I remember that the president of FIFA, Blatter, and the former Secretary General Jerome Valk, they had a discussion before, and. Um, Blatter said to Jerome or the other way around, I don't know, if Qatar wins the World Cup, uh, our organization is dead. So they tried everything to avoid that the vote would go to Qatar. Mm, okay. But since none, none of FIFA, FIFA administration has anything to say, the only thing that the administration did was they published uh, an evaluation report about the bids. And the two worst bids were Russia and Qatar. So, so the administration said, look, you have a lot of nice bidders, but for 2018, the worst is Russia. And for 22, the worst is Qatar and both won. Okay, I see, I see what you mean by that now. Okay. And uh, maybe just to add, because I use that explanation a lot and then people say, yeah, but you cannot hide behind it. FIFA is responsible for this structure. And, and there, there, there I see the point. At, in 1904, when FIFA was founded, they came up with this structure. And then later on with the executive committee and so on. It is very, very old and has never changed. Now the question is, how could you change the system that these kind of corruption cases don't occur anymore? I have made a proposal, or we have made, we have a, uh, worked with a university on, 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 an, on an alternative system to award the World Cup, which is less uh, vulnerable for corruption. But if you wanted to change it, uh, guess who has to agree on it? 
it's the 211 members. Right. Only, only the Congress can change the statutes. And they will not do it because then they would lose influence. And that's the, the, the difficult point or the difficult issue at the moment that you can almost not change the organization from the inside. I'd like to I'd like to move on and go on to sort of the rise of the US as a region in world football as this it's, this podcast is hosted in the US. Um, yeah. I would love to hear you know your thoughts on the US securing the bid for the 2026 World Cup now hosting the Club World Cup how the USA is comparing their advances to promote football in their region versus other growing areas in the world, such as the Middle East. Yeah. I think the US have a much bigger potential. Um, I know that there was certain frustration uh, years ago. I think when they hosted the World Cup in 94, everybody thought that this would maybe trigger a breakthrough. And as of then, football will become uh, huge in the US as well. It only was the case for women's football, I think. But it is one of the most practiced sport, if I correctly understand, in the U.S. Uh, in terms of participants. And um, I think it just needs once a better result of the national team at a world championships to really um, make a big step forward. Right. I don't think it has to be bigger than... Um, uh, American football or basketball or so. <laughs> Germany's basketball number one at the moment. <laughs> no, um, it doesn't have to be. But I think there is a great potential. Whereas in the uh, Arabic countries, I think that's uh, that's a purely. It's just because of money. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that players really want to play in that region. They are just attracted by these ridiculous amounts of money that uh, at the moment Saudi Arabia is pumping into the sport. Um, so I was going to ask it, about your thoughts on that as well, actually. Um, they've spent over $900 million this summer transfer window in a way to basically change their public image. Um, I was wondering what you think about, you know, this sort of, in a way, sport washing strategy and if there's any concern for FIFA, given their human rights record. It has, I mean, it sounds strange, but it has nothing to do with FIFA and right. whatever they do. Uh, I also think it's sports washing. But for me, me personally, I've never really understood why all of a sudden I should like Saudi Arabia more just because they have a few football clubs. But I, I, I see their thinking. And I think they are also discussing with UEFA whether they get slots in the Champions League. Yeah. And if they get those slots, then, of course, this means that European clubs would travel to Saudi Arabia and these clubs would play in Europe. And then there would be more exchange. And I just know it from Qatar, what their thinking was with hosting the World Cup and pumping so much money into football, they wanted to just play a role in the world of sports. It's such a small country. 
because they were afraid of their neighbor countries, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Um, and they thought if we are not in everybody's mouth and, and, and yeah, if we are not playing a role on the international sports level, then nobody would intervene if Saudi Arabia or re Iran all of a sudden walk in and, and uh, swallow our country. Um, they really had to, uh, political and military interests of becoming a player on the, in the international football market. Whether this is also the case for Saudi Arabia, I think it's slightly different, as you said, probably because they want to improve their image. But um, honestly, I don't, as long as they keep the system as it is, I don't see a reason why anybody should have a better image of uh, Saudi Arabia. Maybe if tourists are coming and seeing the country and the country is different than its image, then maybe. Uh, right. Yeah, I know the big idea is to sort of step away from the oil, you know, big oil country um, as a bad, bad history. but. I'd, I'd be interested to see if they can sit, continue doing the amount of spending they're doing, um, you know, in the years to come forward. That that would be very interesting to see if, you know, you have players like Cristiano Ronaldo who say it's going to be one of the biggest leagues in the world, which I find very hard to believe. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it just says it because if for every positive. Um, publication on social media, you know this maybe from Neymar, every positive uh, post on um, right. Instagram where he mentions Saudi Arabia in a positive light a way, he receives half a million dollars, huh? <laughs> which is not that deal. so sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, phew. given um, moving on from Saudi Arabia, I want to ask about sort of the the big news story going around which was of course the unconsensual kiss made by the spanish fa president luis rubiales on world cup winner journey hermoso i want yeah. to ask um given how slow fifa was to condemn luis's actions and suspend him what does this tell one about continued discrimination against women in the sport I mean, I don't know how many days it took exactly. I th I thought, maybe it's wrong, that FIFA reacted relatively quickly. And then on the other side, um, if you want to intervene into a legal case, for example, it's always difficult if you don't have all the information, if you're not in the country and so on. Maybe this comparison is not good, but if uh, people were... Um, were called corrupt, especially South American representatives in football were all, always had the reputation of being corrupt. And the question was, why does FIFA not do something about it? Then the position was really clear. clear. If these people are in a trial in their own country and then they are considered of not guilty, FIFA is not a legal authority that can then say, ah, Brazilian court, I don't think that we agree with you. We think he he or she is corrupt. So it's very difficult to, to go into that. If something happens on the field, you're right, then FIFA has the right to intervene and they can condemn uh, 
racist uh, songs from the fans and so on. So this specific situation of the KISS, um, I think they first needed to really clarify what is the background between these two people? Was she really not in agreement with it? Because in theory, it could have been, I'm just saying in theory, right. that it is common practice between those two or that they had a good relationship and so on. But then she, of course, made it clear that it was against her will, that she didn't feel comfortable. And I don't know how long it then took for somebody to react. But um, I, I know that FIFA then um, suspended him and... Um, I actually don't know what function he has in the, he's just, a, uh, yeah, he's just the president of the National Association, but I don't know in what other committee he is. But normally the situation is if there is a, a case against somebody, then his job is, um, um, how do you say it? it's rude. Um, you can't do your job anymore. You haven't lost it, but you are not active anymore. Right. And you're sort of, you're sort of on, <laughs> what's the word? Um, in limbo. You can't really do anything. Army. Yeah. Well, as, as we've, you know, come to an end and thank you again for taking this time to speak with me on a number of different topics. I would, uh, I would love to know about your love for the game. You said that you didn't, you know, ev- immediately love football before coming into you know working within the sport is there sort of a time in your employment at fifa where or becoming a fan of the game where you've specifically found a club a country or a player where oh, you yeah. That you're yeah, yeah no. i was always um, following my hometown uh, bremen in northern bremen. germany yeah, Werder Bremen. And then yeah. another team that was very good in the late 70s, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, also a German team. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, so I follow these two teams and I uh, suffer a bit if they lose and I'm very happy if they win. But uh, I'm just saying I'm not a real fan because a real fan doesn't have two clubs at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to the stadium every two weeks. That's what I mean. But I'm, I'm following those clubs. I'm following the Bundesliga. I'm following a little bit what's happening on the, um, in other leagues in England and, and uh, in Spain, especially because I lived in Spain. And I'm a very passionate fan when it comes to national games. Mm. Uh, although I have a double nationality in Switzerland and Germany, my heart still beats for Germany. And as you can imagine, I wasn't the happiest person <laughs> during the last few months. But then luckily, the last game against France, they won. That was a great game. Yeah, it was a good game. And now uh, there's more... Um, well, they got a World Cup in uh, in 2014. I was I was at that game. That was fantastic. Yeah, and now next year they have European Championships. Right. Well, I saw that the um, the coach got fired. So hopefully, yeah. I do like watching the Germans play. Well, given that I am an England fan, there's always the English German rivalry. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but but uh, I I do love those games so much. There's always it's never a bad game. So I'm You're hoping right. that Germany will be ready for the Euros this you know the next summer. Yeah, I hope so too. And England is very strong. 
I consider England and Spain and France the strongest at the moment. Um, but I hope that Germany will use the host uh, benefit and right. get the support from the fans to also play a role there. Home advantage. <laughs> Home advantage, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yep, thank you to everyone that is listening. All right, Dave. Thank you very much. And I, um, I'm i looking forward to the World Cup in the US, Mexico, and Canada. Yeah, it should be a good one. Hoping to get a ticket or two. And we're back. And that was uh, an awesome interview, I think. Uh, super no, cool. don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I've already said I haven't. I, I wasn't involved in it yet, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to close out the uh episode just because you know uh a lot's happened uh in in the couple of weeks we are still you know working to get back into our regular swing of things the premier league is heating up right now uh major league soccer just crowned a supporters sh uh shield champion and they're gonna be getting into uh their playoffs pretty soon um, but Tom, what, what stories have been on your radar lately? So I think the big one in terms of news that came out today has to be the new and seeing we just finished an interview with the, a ex FIFA employee mm -hmm. that Spain, Portugal, and Morocco are set to host the 2030 world cup with, which is kind of interesting because it's, uh, it's dating back a hundred years to when the world cup was first hosted in South America. So actually the first couple games, even though it's hosted in Spain, Morocco and Portugal, first couple games are going to happen in Uruguay, Argentina and Paraguay. This will also mean that all six of those countries are going to qualify. It's, it's something to, sort of honored the the hosting from a hundred years ago of FIFA. Um the thing that's really weird for me about it is is uh the the idea of playing the first couple games of the World Cup in South America and then you're gonna have them travel, you know, halfway across the, yeah, across the ocean to so and I was talking with my boys about it. I really, really hope that uh, that a couple of those games that are happening over in South America are like a couple, like a couple days breaking off more than usual, um, so the players can actually, you know, get their train because they're gonna get used to the time difference, and then they have to travel back and get used to a eight hour ahead time difference. So that's interesting. So that makes me wonder if they're, so yes, they do. They do stagger match days a bit, but I mean, that is pretty, that's a tall order considering the type of get. But then again, I mean, that's And not to compare this to, you know, the world cup in Brazil, there was quite a lot of travel there just because there were a few stadiums that were essentially built in the middle of nowhere and uh, were pretty tough to get to. Um, I, maybe they're used to, maybe there's a format like the, where it's going to work. They'll probably stagger as far as like 
um, groups, but that's going to be a mess. That's going to be a total mess between maybe not, maybe not terrible, but like between, yeah, you, you're saying that eight hour difference uh, between the South American nations and, and uh, Spain and Portugal. That's so bizarre. Uh, right. I, I think what's interesting about it is we also have to remember that, you know, now with the new World Cup format, which is more teams and yeah. I mean, I hope it's going to be a longer World Cup. It's, it should be like a month longer now. So so two um, months, like, <laughs> which I mean, yeah, but boy, then you're, oh, God, like. Uh, <laughs> it's so stretched out. <laughs> you're, you're, it's so stretched out, and you are cutting into, like, essentially the European nations. They're just, these players are going to get, you know, especially talking about top players who have like champions league or Europa league soccer to play. Uh, they are going to be going essentially straight into a, a world cup tournament. And then if it's prolonged, you know, another month, like essentially they're going from regular season to world cup to regular season again. I didn't even think about that. That's, that's insane. No and then days now, off. Not only that, but the the travel that is going to be asked of them uh, in in the middle of that World Cup is mind boggling to me right now. I don't know how they're going to make it work. Also, if you think about it, another weird thing about it is it's not very. Um, I saw the report about it today, and I mean this is just a World Cup in general thing that FIFA does not really care about climate. And, yeah. like, and like and like the climate issues of the uh-huh. world they're like well we'll have you know we'll have a whole two whole teams fly all the way to uruguay and then like two days later we'll fly them all the way back to morocco on private on private jets too Oof. it's just like yeah we're not really we're not really thinking about the environment at all but that's no. fine it's money yeah, no, and and that's sort of the. I mean, yeah, they could the money that's going to come in, especially when you stretch it out. Like, okay, yeah, you know, we're gonna just have this in multiple nations, and we're going to draw in so much money from all those places. Uh, yeah, no, I get it. I that that's weird, but man, I'm it bums me out to a certain degree because yeah, now they're <laughs> it does, just doesn't it? <laughs> it's it's becoming comical at this point. Well, uh, why don't we go into the next uh, FIFA-related story, which is just as cheerful. Um, Saudi Arabia have confirmed that they will bid for hosting the 2034 World Cup. Uh So we could have another Middle Eastern World Cup. Um, Another fall World Cup. Another another lovely November, yeah, November, December World Cup. That was fun. Um, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting, I will say, watching that USA England game. I think it was like the day or two after Thanksgiving. It was so weird. To be fair, like it was actually kind of fun because I was on honeymoon with my wife and they had like a sports bar type of place at the resort we were at and they were playing all the World Cup matches. So that was oh brilliant. And yeah, there were a bunch of these British dudes just absolutely off their rockers drunk 
and it was really funny like doing like call calls and responses with them it was actually like one of the highlights of the of this trip of of like something i completely didn't expect don't tell your wife uh, that (laughs) yeah well no look look i that's that's why i i specify that it was like one of the great highlights of of things i didn't (laughs) expect on the trip right right overall yes absolutely uh loved every second with my wife and i mean it i i'm not <laughs> i'm not saying she's listening this. oh she does she did she she will like yeah <laughs> um no that was that was just a fabulous trip all around and really like yeah the world cup aspect of it was icing was cool on a, an awesome cake yeah but what do you what do you think about you know, obviously Qatar did it for sort of a sport washing side of it. And Saudi Arabia's is probably even more extreme. Yep. Um, given their their odd history of cutting the heads off of journalists. Right. And, uh yeah. with Mohammed bin Sal uh uh, uh Mohammed bin Salman, uh he you know, these are this is part of that vision twenty fifty. Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia thing. I mean, it's it's insane because like uh, they they even did it with like Vice magazine and how that is now almost like it is essentially a propaganda arm for Saudi Arabia at this point. It's oh it's, really? Oh yeah! Like that's, I didn't know that at all. There's there's gonna be stories about it and like I this was off a of TikTok I saw of kind of like an ex uh, Vice journalist talking about how essentially they built a new headquarters in uh jedda and now that magazine is essentially now just a, a mouthpiece for saudi arabia now wow yeah that is wild. yeah i haven't picked up a vice so <laughs> yeah no no and, and really that's that's just you know it's it's uh apropos of nothing but it is right uh you know these these are the things that are part of it and you know i mean yeah i think it's important to know you know kind of the background of yeah, all right. this but yeah oh man it's it's insane that's and, so and random very scary how that machine is is being built and ran today so yeah yeah ooh, watch out for it Fing- fingers in a lot of pies at this point absolutely well i mean i think there is a team that has been growing quite a bit that we should quickly talk about and i think we should plan to talk about in a future episode for sure. is newcastle who today as today of recording have absolutely smashed paris saint germain psg in the champions league yeah beat them four to one and uh i half watched it because i was also working slash in a meeting but mm-hmm. i watched all the highlights again after Yo, they look good, yeah. and St. James is not a place I, I like seeing my team plays, but you got to think it's crazy how they were in a relegation battle like three seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and now they're being PSG, and and it was really funny because two of the scores were, um, were Dan Byrne and I'm blanking out. Oh, and Sean Lang's long staff. Yeah. And they are like Newcastle, like kids. Yep. They grew up in Newcastle. Like they're not the, the Brazilians and what you cause that they've, they've signed recently. Um, so I would, I would love to do a focus on Eddie Howe in a yeah. future episode. 
For sure. And, you know, Newcastle, they've had a very interesting, like, start to the season so far. Uh, they're they're a little bit around, uh, you know, if, if we're just counting purely wins and losses, they're kind of like a 500 team at the moment. Uh, but they are, you know, it's 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 a little slapdash, like how they've been performing so far, because they will go up against, you know, uh, Manchester City, and they will win uh, one to nothing. Uh, they beat uh, Sheffield United like nine thousand to nothing. Uh, they tied uh, Inter Milan. Um, they beat Brentford. AC then, Milan. Did I say Inter Milan? I said I did say yeah, Inter. Yeah. So they they tied too many uh, Milans. AC one of those Milans. Uh, the Red Milan and. Um, but like they lost three one to Brighton, which again, you know, very good team right now. Uh, and then a red carded Liverpool uh, beat them two to one, and so they're you know, oh, yeah, it's it's a, a weird start for them, especially like tied Chelsea early in the in the year, and they've been awful, uh, you know. And and yeah, this is just kind of a a weird team, you know, as as far as like this uh, uh you know sort of sort of EPL season is concerned but that's still very cool to see them just absolutely smash PSG and for what it's worth PSG is uh they're on the struggle bus right now or they've they've been uh on on a sort of struggle bus as as far as like the operation of the team goes uh it's it's been a weird summer slash year for them so they've, they've been doing okay as far as like you know the league league one is concerned uh but they, right. they lost to nice uh beat leon uh beat lens you know it, like they're doing okay as as far as you know the farm league is concerned but yeah losing 4-1 uh to newcastle is wild yeah i mean it's when you have Mbappe and you've spent a couple hundred million mm-hmm. and you're backed, it, it was very funny because it was, um, oh my God, there's some, there's a lot of beef between the owners of PSG and the owners of Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what it is, but I think it has something to do with an advert. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see two, uh, <laughs> two state controlled teams play each other. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Oof. Yay. <laughs> Probably in ten years, every team will be state controlled at some point. I we'll hope start, not. We'll just, hey, we'll just start calling them countries. <laughs> there's, there. So I, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too too into this because I, I don't know the full details on it. But as far as I know, like as far as like the EU is concerned, I know they're considering some sort of legislation or rules now, with as far as like state owned, you know, oil. <laughs> countries oh, really? or or you know um it, i think there are some restrictions that are uh being considered as far as like who can buy you know a team and and what's the sort of limit at which they are able to invest so i think there is discussion happening right now but that that might be uh some digging i'll have to do uh at a later time but yeah, um definitely. tom I don't want to like get super into this because you you said we've got a pretty lengthy uh, interview, but yeah, right. I want to know 
where can the good folks find you online? Yes, so the good folks online, of course, can find me on Instagram at TIFerguson94. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Snitch McConnell. And, Daniel, where can the good people find you and find our podcast? Yeah, you can find me at Professor uh, SDFC on Instagram. You can find me at Daniel605Wise on on X. I guess. <laughs> and you can find the Artful Nutmeg on both at the Artful Nutmeg. Uh, Tom, really good getting back with you. Uh, you know, we are working back into the swing of things, you know, like we like we've been saying, you know, life's life's been happening real fast lately. Uh, but I, I'm just happy to get back into recording with you. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening to our show, uh, who's supporting us. Remember to be well and watch more soccer.